I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In most episodes, we start off our love and appreciation of a film by talking about the weekend review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is the main topic of discussion or main review, and then finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, because of the short turnaround between the last episode and this episode's recording, we will forego a week in review segment because we really honestly did not have time to watch much. Uh, new new material, anyway, or finish any shows. And so we will start off with the main event, which is our review of Firestarter. And then Film Faves will count down our 12 favorite horror novel adaptations. wonder how many Stephen King movies will be in that. Uh, so... Before we do, one thing that was not acknowledged in the last episode and actually is kind of one of the reasons why, unfortunately, it ended up being a day late was Shanna's birthday, 35th birthday occurred recently, actually that week that the episode dropped, and I did uh, not acknowledge that in the last episode for whatever reason, so I wanted to give a shout out and a big happy birthday to Shanna I hope you have had a lovely week. Thanks, honey. It was great. We got to rewatch everything, everywhere, all at once with our son, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, there were moments where we forgot certain things happen, but he seemed to be thrilled by it. So you forgot. You forgot certain oh, things. Happen. Okay. <laughs> I can't Fine. forget some of those oh, things. Okay. I forgot, apparently, and it was really enjoyable watching this movie a second time, and then later that week, we got to take him to Doctor Strange, and, you know, watching it a second time without people behind me talking the whole time was great. Yeah. So, nothing really to report on that front, so let's get going into our review of Firestarter. Daddy. What's going on, sweetie? Something feels weird. Something's changing. You remember the tools we taught you, right? Pencil, desk, paper, shoes, your wheel. Everything okay, Charlie? It happened again. What happened? The bad thing. If you ever start to lose control, what do you do? It didn't work. She's not a robot, Annie. She's a little girl. With little girl emotions, which are wildly unpredictable. Charlie? She just has to shove it down and keep it hidden. Our responsibility is getting her ready. Our responsibility is to protect her. Charlie? If they catch her, they're going to put her in a cage. Charlie? They're going to run tests on her for the rest of her life. We'll never see her again. If who catches me? Something's happened. I need it handled with discretion. And I need her back alive. Holy shit. Do you know what it means to be on the run? Bad men are after us. Really bad. I hate living like this! You're special, Charlie. I'm not special, I'm a monster! Ah! Charlie! 
to use her. Charlie? Don't be stupid. Where's mommy? Do you feel that? Let her go or it's gonna get a lot worse. Where's mommy? Tell me now! She's the first of her kind. A real life superhero. You need to understand how to use it. It can't be a reaction. It's gotta be a decision. That's the only way that you can control it. She's becoming a young woman. I'm not going to jail. And someday soon... You're gonna change the world. She may be capable of a nuclear explosion. Run, Charlie! On your knees! Simply with the force of her mind. <laughs> the whole world's going to hell. Promise me that you'll never use your gifts to hurt people. Only hurt bad people, I promise. Trust me, Charlie. You don't have to be afraid. Please, I can help you. Liar, liar. Pants on fire. I don't want to hurt anyone. But it feels kind of good. And that was from the trailer to Firestarter, directed by Keith Thomas. This is a Blumhouse production starring Zac Efron, Ryan Kira Armstrong as the main character, Charlie, Sidney Lemon, Kurtwood Smith, John Beasley, Michael Grayeyes, and Gloria Rubin. The premise of this film is it is another adaptation of the 1980 Stephen King novel. For more than a decade, parents Andy and Vicky have been on the run, desperate to hide their daughter Charlie from a shadowy federal agency that wants to harness her gift for creating fire into a weapon of mass destruction. So... When we review a movie, we like to first talk about the good, what worked for us about a film, what were its strengths, and then we talk about the bad, what were its flaws, what were its weaknesses, what sucked about a movie. Then we weigh whether or not the good outweighs the bad and talk about spoilers and final thoughts. Now, Shanna, you let's back up a little bit here, all right? We have different backgrounds when it comes to this material and Stephen King novels and movies in particular. Would you care to explain your background with Firestarter and um, Stephen King movies or books in general? So for me with Stephen King, I tried reading one of his books, I think Thinner, and it in high school and it didn't really work out for me mm. so i decided okay i'm not gonna watch i'm not gonna read stephen king anymore i'll watch his work when i'm ready i think that was at age 15 or 16 okay so later i think it was i was 17 our awesome english teacher said that shawshank redemption would be our film study oh and wow. then because it's so loaded with lots of symbolism and hmm. um, themes, and it's a great movie to to study. Okay. So, so that became a favorite, and then I eventually watched The Shining, and that became a favorite. And then we, you know, my brother and I heard about Misery, 
and we watched that together and then I watched it with you and then, you know, you introduced me to the other stuff like Stand By Me and The Mist. And for me, it's either a Stephen King movie really works for me or it really should not be in my world like it. Mm -hmm. So it just really depends. I'm happy when there's just like a sprinkle of paranormal, but not when it's a huge giant clown that fills up a room. That's just (laughs) too much. So that's my experience with Stephen King. And I know I knew nothing about Firestarter, but we saw the trailer in the movie theater and I thought, well, this looks like a good balance for me. It's, you know, Mm. it's not going to be terrifying all the way and it's not going to follow me home. So you've never seen the 1984 adaptation. You've never read the book. Neither of those things. It was kind of cold for you. No. Okay. So, for myself, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I have seen way more Stephen King movies than you. I've probably seen 80% of the Stephen King movies that have been created. Uh, and on top of that, some of the miniseries too. I used to have several Stephen King books. I've read a, ha- a good handful of them. I had Firestarter, the book. I never got around to reading it. Tried watching the movie. A long time ago, to the point where it's like vague memories, it also used to be on cable, basic cable, all the time on TNT or TBS playing uh, very often. Oh, and okay. So it was pretty popular. It Well... <laughs> or it was it was easy to get on cable. Yes, yeah, I would say that. it might have been... It was not one of the more popular Stephen King mm. 80s movies, certainly. It's actually got a reputation for being pretty bad. But I... Back then, watched it, and I i don't even know if I finished it, but I have vague memories of seeing some of it and thinking it was really boring for a movie about a little girl who is a pyrokinetic, who can control fire. So I figured, well, surely almost 40 years later, this will be uh, better. Um, and we'll get into whether or not that's the case, whether or not it's a good film. Shannon, what did you think was good about this adaptation? Well, you should we mention that we've already read what how the beats of the book go and right. what the beats of the first film go through. Yeah. They're pretty similar, those two. Yeah. This adaption is is a little different. And it's in a, it's different in a good way because it tells the story in a succinct way. It doesn't do this back and forth and repeat and rinse kind of uh, method of we're on the run and they caught us and we got away and we're on the run and they caught us. They don't do that. Yeah, so yeah. I appreciate that because I'm really not in the mood to sit through something like that at this age of my life. Okay. <laughs> the ripe old age of 35. I think it was well cast. It's nice to see Zac Efron. What is it? Fifteen years after High School Musical? Is it fifteen? Oh uh, yeah, we just saw a thing. It was like sixteen yeah. years ago. High School Musical. Yeah, so it's up. nice seeing him in a different role. I know he's done other stuff before. Comedies. Yeah, but I enjoyed seeing him in this one. I thought he was pretty good, and I was really excited about Michael 
Grey Eyes because he is in one of the Apple TV shows that I watch, Home Before Dark, I think is what it's called. Uh. And he's one of the characters in there and you see him pretty consistently in season one. And I was very excited to see him. I want him to be in more things that, that are a good fit for him and that he wants to do. And I was fairly impressed with Ryan Kira Armstrong and I don't know who Sydney Lemon is, but it was great to see Kurtwood Smith and John Beasley. Hmm. So you liked the cast, for sure. Yeah, the cast was great. The cinematography was good. It just it didn't blow me away. You could tell that they were sort of tickling on certain themes where it's, okay, a girl about to hit puberty, about to come into a new power of her own with her body, about to create core values at Mm. this age Mm. you know and unfortunate and then you know there's this government that's trying to control what she gets to do with her body so Mm. overall it was a decent film it was entertaining to watch Uh, what did you like about it you know i think this movie's fine i i don't know that firestarter the book based on my understanding of it and what happens in it yeah it's really one of Keane's most literary novels where it's really exploring a lot. It's it's mostly about people, uh, father, daughter being on the run. And I remember that about the movie. And I, that's kind of what it was like. A, 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 it was like a chase movie or a road movie. And it was kind of boring in that regard. Mm-hmm. And you're right. The, the book and apparently the first adaptation does kind of, especially the book, go through a whole bunch of running, get captured, captured for several months, get free, run, and then things happen where characters die and then get free. And that's where the novel ends. I think that this movie, what's good about this movie is it really truncates and streamlines most of that story. You have the characters pretty much on the run from like when the inciting incident happens, you have them on the run and stay on the run until the climax of the film. And I think that really cleans up the narrative a lot and and it avoids having to test the patience of the viewer compared to what the alternative would do. And I, I think ultimately the movie's fine. I think there are far worse movies already that you and or I have seen this year. I, I think that this is what's surprising to me is that this movie has out of 89 reviews, a 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. That suggests to me that this movie is dog shit. I don't think think that's at all the case Mm. i mean this movie is actually i think this movie has less problems than morbius does oh definitely i mean this was a pleasant viewing experience and it was entertaining at some points but morbius was a horrible whiplash of awful well i think both are watchable but when i think thought more about morbius i had more problems with it than defenses of it uh, as you might as you would hear in our review a couple episodes back uh you know there's uh, you've seen other movies that i haven't seen you've seen death on the nile and you know I, I think this movie's better than uncharted i think there are worse movies that's come out this year than this one yeah this is not 
This doesn't hit the worst pile. Right. It's totally serviceable. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was engaging. I thought Zac Efron and Ryan Kira Armstrong carry the film well. There might be just a a few minor things that, that could have been developed better. So let's talk about what didn't work for us about this film. Yeah, I think that this is a great introduction to Stephen King movies. If you were going to show your 12-year-old or your 11-year-old, hmm. this would be a fun one to start with. Okay, I, I might find better ones to start with as a great introduction, but I think this is a serviceable one myself. But what, what, what didn't work for you about the film? I think what makes this film not amazing is... It just tickles on certain themes. Mm. The thing that makes this film shy of being a great introduction, as you said, to Stephen King, there's a couple things that are being touched on, but nothing is being followed through with or sticking the landing, you know? So, for example, we have this idea of Uh, This little girl coming into her new level of power because she's hitting an age where puberty and hormones are going to start coming in. We have this idea of, okay, she's, I think she's more along the age of 10, but apparently she's eight in the book. So we've got these core memories or core values starting to be formed. And we have this innocence being broken because now she's starting to understand hey this this isn't even my fault the way that I am and there's also this really wonderful idea that doesn't that would have been great to have been executed and 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 stuck have a a landing that sticks is the idea of the government controlling her body or wanting her to use her body in a way that they want her to use her body. And so you've got all these little things being touched on with little conversations or observances or seeing the picture as a whole and and nothing, they don't stick with one of them and follow through with it, Mm. with a message. So I think that's what makes it not a, a great film. So let's let me speak to some of that. I think oh, there's some limitations with the source material there. As I understand it, the original novel was published in 1980, and you had it basically dealing with a distrust of a, of the government because you have a government agency who is doing experiments or or. or chasing after uh, certain civilians, uh, civilians who come into some power of some kind and trying to uh, wanting to weaponize them in some way. You know, that gets into a little bit of themes of the Vietnam War, which ended six years before the book was published, I want to say. You have a character who in the book is a Vietnam veteran who's uh, a weapon of the agency. I think it's dealing more with that. You also have what makes the parents have powers is a hallucinogenic drug. So then you have essentially dealing with the government weaponizing the part of the one of the essential characteristics of the counterculture. So it's kind of dealing with that sort of stuff. Um, Not so much 
as I understand it, anything more personal or internal with the main character, Charlie. This film, you get any sort of context like that, I think is uh, in terms of government and Vietnam War and hallucinogens, all that sort of stuff. I think all that is kind of scraped out to modernize it a little bit more, to update it a little bit more. You're right, there are messages and thoughts of like, I'm a monster, I'm different, I'm, I don't fit in. The movie maybe spends 20 minutes in its 90 minute runtime kind of percolating on that and it, it doesn't necessarily carry it through. Yeah. So I agree with that. I feel like it's definitely a, a waste because if you're going to gut it of what made it so relevant at the time with you speaking about the Vietnam War and everything attached to that, then you need to give it a new thing to anchor it. And they could have done that with, you know, not having control over your body, whether it's yeah your chemistry or yeah government interfering. I should also mention that <clears throat> the book uh, it also came out post Watergate, so there's that distrust. That's where the distrust of okay. government comes in. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, here we have Gloria Rubin taking over what has historically been a, a male character, the lead of the agency. And she asserts that they want to understand Charlie. So it gets a little unclear about their intentions because in the book, the intentions is to weaponize her, right? And um, here they're, they're, uh, they're saying they want to understand her and they want to help her with her powers. Uh, I think some of the... Um, intentions of the characters in the film get a little unclear, a little muddy. There's that character. There's also Redbird is in the film. Now, apparently that character is supposed to be half Cherokee. And in the 1984 film, you have the very white George C. Scott playing that character. That just seems like and so the such casting, a bad idea. Yeah, the casting here is better, but... It's there's some un, there's lack of clarity of that character because it seems like they tried adding some abilities to that character and it's unclear what they are. That he's part of the experiment as well, but yeah. he was weaponized by the government and he left that behind. Yeah, which is um, deviations from the book, which is totally fine. It, it works, except there's some lack of clarity here. In the book, he wants to befriend Charlie and then kill her for whatever reason. In this, he's sent to kill her, but then he becomes comes in awe of her, and he's also there's this idea of like some sort of guilt. Or something he's wrestling with internally with what he's done in the past and wanting... Well, what he's been made to do. Yeah, and wanting some sort of penance for it or or something, right? We can get into more of that in the spoilers, but... Yeah, I guess they also touch on forgiveness in this film, which we can talk about in spoilers. But I just wanted to mention that forgiveness is a theme here, too. One of my only other issues with the film that kind of sticks out to me is Kurtwood Smith has one scene in this film, and I don't think I 
understand the necessity of that scene and his involvement in this film at all. My first under, uh, assumption was that, oh, he was one of the original cast members of the first adaptation, but that doesn't appear to have been the case. So it wasn't a callback uh, to that film in any way. So I feel like he's kind of wasted. He, he And he's given it his all in this one scene he has. Uh, he's giving a performance, but I do feel like it was an unnecessary scene overall. Uh, so, you know, this film's not perfect. Was there anything else you wanted to broadly speak to? I agree with you. I loved seeing Kurtwood Smith, but he easily could have been... It could have been a little story with files where you see his picture or, you, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be him that's cast there. Right. Even though I, I want to see him, you know, it's got nothing to do with that. That that scene where he's making the sugar hills with. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. His one scene. Yeah. Well, he has another one. I just can't remember it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I just I can't remember. It, it's it's different. But I, I don't understand what he was doing with the sugar hills either. Like, what was the significance there? Did I miss something? No, I think that's a fair question. Absolutely. I think, that, again, it goes to the overall issue of this film of just lack of clarity. You know? I, and I, look, I expect a lot of Stephen King movies. Like, okay. if you're going to take Stephen King's book, mm-hmm. well, you better make sure that, and maybe I'm spoiled because of The Shining or Shawshank. I don't really sure. know. Sure. Yeah, or that's both. top shelf. Yeah. Like, I think I'm spoiled with those two in particular. Like, you, you better make sure that you're doing everything with purpose Mm. so again that's another reason why it's not a great a great film right yeah well let's get into spoilers uh first does the good outweigh the bad in this film i think so i think it's worth a watch Mm -hmm. what about you yeah i think this film's totally fine yes it has some issues It, it lacks clarity in a lot of ways with character motivations and and some other things but this is not the worst Stephen King film I've ever seen. This is not one of the worst films of the year I've seen. I give this film a solid 6 out of 10. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with you, a 6 out of 10. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit more in detail on a few things and spoilers. If you haven't seen the movie, go ahead and skip ahead to the next segment of the show. Look at the show notes, timestamps. But if you have, go ahead and join us for our spoiler discussion of Stephen King's Firestarter starting now. So I had referenced Redbird, or is it Redbird? Yeah, Redbird, Rainbird. I'm sorry, and how he has this—he has this feeling. It's that's conveyed of wanting basically all the things they horrible things and he's done he's tried to put it behind him and it, he it becomes clear that he can't put it behind him through this this call and this mission and it and the sense that he wants to have some punishment for what he's done and so he he goes to charlie at the if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm missing some details. He goes to Charlie at the shop, at the facility, and he essentially helps her avoid capture. Yeah, she's about to be taken down. Yes. And 
And then he steps in. Yes. And then he makes clear that he's not a threat to her and he gets on his knees and he's just like waiting for her to exact revenge. Because let's also remember, and this is the prevailing thought in my head in this scene, he killed her mom. Yeah. Right? So she, if she understands that, um, I'm not sure if she knows that or not, that it was him. But if she does, then clearly, like, of course, she's going to want to exact vengeance. Well, and, and she she's also to. she's also been pushed by her dad to get out of the facility and burn it down. Yes. So she's trying to come away from her dad's push and bring herself to the forefront. And then she's met with Rainbird. So it's interesting how those two things come together. Yeah, so she starts to, what seems to be, fry him from the inside out. And then what I realized was she radiates heat first. Uh-huh, okay. That's, so that's what she was doing. Okay. And then she, and she seems to stop. And essentially, the movie ends with them going off together with some sort of um, alliance or partnership or friendship what happens from there we don't really know there has been talk ahead of this movie's release from the producers or director i don't know about an intention to create some sort of franchise from this um whether that be a sequel or uh, a series or what have you but um i'm always cool with like gene mutations basically x-men I'm always happy to go watch that kind of thing. But then you need to anchor it to something like what I had said previously about the issue with this film. You need to anchor it to something. You need to say something. So that it can have significance in the future. Otherwise, you're just uh making popcorn. Right. Which is, you know, sometimes there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's done well. Uh, I, I think this movie was made on a $12 million budget. It might surpass that, but... It's reported that it might have earned around $6 million in its opening weekend, which is half of its budget, plus marketing. So I would be surprised if we actually see future Firestarter projects. I, I get the impression the word of mouth is going to help kill this film. Anyway, I just wanted to bring up what happens with Rainbird that I was kind of speaking to, which I thought was kind of interesting but yeah, it is still unclear what his that he has powers and what they are. I wanted more about him. Every time we just got a little bit of information about him, I was kind of annoyed because it was too little. Like mm. he had said, "Oh, once you see her, you'll know what I'm talking about." Yeah, you'll understand. And she's my sister. She's my mother. But right. then the woman says, "Gloria, but you Ruben. killed your mother." And I don't know what she meant by that. Yeah. So, because it could have been, it could be anything. Look, it could I don't mean anything. I don't need. I don't think the movie needed a lot more Rainbird, but I think you're right. There's, uh, there's little elements that could have been developed a little bit more, particularly this idea of once you see Charlie, you'll understand. What does that mean? For the characters. What is it that they come to understand? And if if he's altered by the six serum, is he the one that's able to identify she's the next generation or she's the next hope for us? Or what is... Anyway, there's so much conjecture that could be had and that's... 
Some conjecture is great, but uh-huh. so much is annoying. So uh-huh. I would have preferred to have gotten, again, clarification on that. I do like that this version of the story added, seems to have added something with Farmer Irv, a character that in all <laughs> versions of the story, the, the father and daughter come across and take refuge with. In the book, it as as I understand it or recall the book, it's just Farmer Irv. In the first film, Farmer Irv has a wife, played by oh someone of that time I forget the name. And then in this film, he has a wife who's like what's the word? She's like paralyzed. She can't speak. She can't move. She's bedridden. He has to take care of her all the time. Yeah. And it turns out he has a drinking problem that led to her present condition 10 years ago. When the loss of their son. And the loss of their son. And I thought that was interesting. I thought that like for a tertiary character, for a very supporting character, I thought it was interesting that the film kind of took the time to develop a little more depth to the character. Well, and I think the reason they did that is because they're bringing in that theme of forgiveness. Uh, What happened Mm. prior to this is Charlie got upset with her parents, but fire speaking took it out on her mom. And on accident, on accident. And she had said to her dad is, is mom going to forgive me? And then things happen. And then she meets the farmer's wife Mm -hmm. and she can hear what the farmer's wife is thinking. Right. And she's able to tell the farmer she forgives you. Yeah. So that forgiveness comes and it's great because for Charlie, it's like, okay, I did something wrong. Am I going to be forgiven? This yeah. person did something wrong and they were forgiven. And now this, you know, Rainbird did something wrong to me. I'm going to forgive him. So I liked that. That was nice. They seemed to stick the landing with that. Yeah. I mean, except like, what's the overall goal there with uh, essentially women forgiving? I think it's consistently women characters that the forgiveness comes from. Wife, herself. Except Charlie's the exception because he's, uh, he, he, what you said that he was responsible for was he was responsible for killing people who tried taking her away as a baby. He pushed an officer to kill his partner and himself. And he's, he's been damaged because he, he took those lives. Oh, and then, okay. And so he, he, there's a certain degree of whether or not he can forgive himself for the men are involved too, in a way like Rainbird, as you said, is dealing with something Mm -hmm. and we're not really sure what, and then the farmer is dealing with the loss of his son. Right. And, and then putting his wife into this this permanent condition yeah. that changes their lives forever. Yeah. So that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, there's not a lot there, I would argue, but it is, there is something there. Anything else that we want to speak to that uh, we couldn't do in the spoilers? No, I think that was it. Mm. I wanted to tackle the forgiveness specifically from Charlie's mother. Yeah. And uh, that's about it. Yeah. 
So those are our thoughts on Firestarter, a movie that we don't think is nearly as bad as its reputation uh, seems to be built <laughs> building uh, right now. We have that a lot. We, we've we've um, come to the defense of the recent Charlie's Angels movies and a movie, I should say, and a few other things. I, I If nothing else, you can also stream Firestarter on Peacock if you have subscribed to that subscription service too. It is available in theaters and Peacock simultaneously. That does it for the main event. Now it's time to move on to Film Faves. Film Faves is a segment inspired by a former feature on the blog, The Gibson Review, wherein we count down 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Why 12? Because all other lists tend to do 5 or 10 with honorable mentions. Here we do 12, and that's generally it. Um, every once in a while, we might have had like 50 picks, and we speak to you know some of that or whatever. But anyway... The idea is to hopefully expose you to things you haven't heard of or seen before. And to that end, we will point you in the direction of any streaming subscription services that they are available on. We focus on Apple TV+, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Disney+, Netflix, and HBO Max. Okay, we'll let you know if any of our picks are on those services. Now, with this list, at first, we were considering, hey, what about favorite Stephen King adaptations, Stephen King movies? But my sense was Shanna probably hasn't seen very many. And your sense was I've hardly seen any. And then we looked into it, and there was more than, than you thought that you had seen. You had seen nine. But you're not going, like, A, that's not enough for a list of a dozen, and B, you're not going to just list every single movie you've seen. Yeah, even though, look, because I'm so cautious when I watch Stephen King, Mm -hmm. it's likely that I like it, you know? So we landed on a, a kind of a broader topic, which is what about horror movies based on novels, okay? And that bared just enough fruit I was actually surprised how few options there were out there of films based on novels, horror films based on novels. It's it's uh, not as fruitful as other genres, surprisingly, but it bare, bore enough fruit where we could be able to do this respectively uh, as our own lists. Question is, how many Stephen King movies are going to show up on our list? And also, you may hear some overlap from our recent vampire movies list, too, as a good handful of vampire movies have been adapted, or how vampire novels have been adapted into movies. Is there anything you want to speak to about the process of making this list? Any, uh, you know, be it challenges or, or good experiences you had or whatever? Whenever you mention horror, I don't want to play <laughs> because it's not a category that I'm very fond of. And it's something that I have to be very careful with because horror does have a huge impact on my psyche. So when we started looking up adaptations of horror books or horror short stories, 
it became really interesting because, oh, okay, that was a book before. You always know when it's Stephen King. Okay, it was a book, obviously, right, first. Yeah. But then you find out... Don't don't give away any of your picks. Well, I'm trying not to. <laughs> but when when you started saying, oh, what about short stories? I was like, that's uh-huh. really cool. Like, uh-huh. The Fly is not my pick. But The Fly is based on a short story. And right. I thought that that was very interesting. Mm. And then you were also looking at, well when did horror novels really take off? And I think you found that they were only taking off after Frankenstein. Yeah, Frankenstein is credited as, if not the first horror novel, uh, one of the first horror novels. And that was in the 19th century. And it's by? Mary Shelley, of course. And It's then, really yeah. freaking cool that she's the one that... Yeah, totally. She's basically the one that started this genre. Yeah, it's also credited as one of the earliest sci-fi books too and then she's amazing you have Bram stoker who wrote dracula and then it carries on from there oh there was a thought i had oh i want to ask you were there any that you wished you had the time to see you're talking about time crunch oh geez i don't remember anymore now okay i would have taken more time to look at stephen king's stuff i watched thinner when i whenever it came out so way too young in mid-90s yeah and and i would have liked to have gone back to that because I think that that's usually helpful if you saw a horror film yeah. when you were too young and then you go back to it and you're like, okay, it's not so bad. Or, hey, this is cheesy. Or, hey, this is absolutely legitimately terrifying. Mm-hmm. So I would have liked to have taken more time checking out Stephen King's stuff and then maybe diving into short story adaptations because I find that very interesting. I mean, look at how much I love Arrival and that was a short that was a sci-fi short story. Mm-hmm. So I would have been interested to dive into that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's only a couple. It's hard because Stephen King was so prolific yeah. in his career. So there's been so many movies uh, that's, you know, mined his, his uh, catalog of books. And there's a couple that I would have liked to have taken advantage of, but... You know, I wasn't in a position where I needed to see more Stephen King movies, and there weren't a lot of other adaptations for me to watch that are likely to be favorites. Like, I could have rewatched or tried watching all of Hellraiser based on Clive Barker's Hellbound book, but I don't know that that's a, a lock for a likely favorite. Yeah, entry. I don't think that I have ever watched that. Mm-hmm. And so. Now would have been the time. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. What is your 12th favorite horror novel adaptation? All right. My number 12 is from 2019 and available to stream on HBO. Yay. It's Dr. Sleep. Years following the events of The Shining from 1980, and now adult Dan Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot. Who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. It stars Ewan McGregor, Rebecca Ferguson, Kylie Curran, Cliff Curtis, and a few others. I it's directed by Mike Flanagan. I enjoyed this film. I thought it was it, it's a lot of pressure because it's basically a sequel to The Shining. And The Shining in in my eyes is this amazing film. It's considered one of the greatest horror films of all time. Yeah. 
And so that's a lot of pressure. If you're going to make a sequel, how are you going to do it? And how are you going to do it without looking like Ready Player One? <laughs> You know, where it's like, oh, we just love The Shining. Let's just praise it, you know? Well, and there's been a lot of sequels to great films that mm -hmm. are, that shouldn't have existed, you know, in in hindsight, are just so greatly inferior. So that's a fair, fair concern. But I thought that this was really great because we focused on Dan and his PTSD that would result from such a traumatic event. Uh Uh-huh. And then needing to step up protecting others that are, that are basically going through the same thing as he is. Uh-huh. So I thought that that was really an interesting concept and then that the there was this extra element of like supernatural robbers <laughs> essentially. Yeah. So I I thought that was great. Yeah, that film definitely exceeded expectations. Yeah, so and that's I'm, I'm not even a fan of The Shining. So that's Doctor Sleep available on HBO. My 12th favorite horror novel adaptation is also a Stephen King film. Ooh. It is 2008's, I believe, The Mist, which nice choice. starred Thomas Jane and Marcia Gay Harden and a bunch of other people. What's great about this film is it's a very um, character-driven film. It's, a, it's more a... It's less about the monsters outside, though it definitely has that element and some horrific things that happen as a result of the monsters outside and more about the people inside. Now, this is a story, if you're not familiar, about a a, a thick mist that comes over a, a small town and people are trapped in a grocery store. And it's really about what happens over time as people are trapped in that grocery store how those who in any other circumstance seem to be crazy and and easy to dismiss become the ones in charge start winning favor over everyone and it's about the madness um and how we turn on each other very easily and i think it is one of the best Stephen King films. It even has a whopper of an ending. I've never read the mm. story this is based on. I don't know if it ends the same way or slightly differently. I know there is an alternative ending. I th- I'm pretty sure there's an alternative ending that ends uh, slightly differently. But I think the ending as it stands packs such a punch. It is, is incredible. And also, this is also directed by Frank Darabont, if I recall. And there's a black and white version, too, which I've heard is really great. All right, so that's The Mist, my 12th favorite horror novel adaptation. I was trying not to make this like a Stephen King experience, and I I somewhat failed, but I failed in not including that one in my list. Okay, all right. (laughs) We'll see how many others I failed to include because I was trying to vary it up. Uh Uh-huh. So my next one, 11, is from 2013, and it is available to stream on Prime. It is Carrie, the oh. remake of the, what, 1970-something? Well, it's an a- another adaptation of, of the novel, but yes, the there is the classic 70s Brian De Palma film. A shy girl outcasted by her peers and sheltered by her religious mother unleashes telekinetic terror. Ooh, that's nice. Telekinetic terror on her small town after being pushed too far at her senior prom. 
I think I love the remake because of the cast, because it stars Clary Moritz and Julianne Moore. And I love watching Julianne Moore as a crazy person because it just doesn't make sense. My brain does a short circuit and it's just so odd. And it's also F-rated because directed by Kimberly Pierce. So this might be on an F-rated list that I made. I don't know. What is it about this one that you like more than the original? I love the two of them acting alongside each other. And I love the cinematography in this one. And I love the delivery of who, who Carrie is. You know, nothing is worse than that scene where she, and we all know it because it's in the trailers and it's been around forever, but she gets her period and she thinks, the poor girl thinks she's dying because her mother never thought to talk to her about what her body is going to do. The beginning of the movie, okay. Yeah. And honestly, sometimes when I was being bullied as a kid, I was like, well, maybe if they push me far enough, I'll get telekinetic terror too. <laughs> so, huh. be, because that's when things get really crazy for her, right? So you were aware of the story even before you'd seen the movie? Well, I had watched the original. Oh, you had? Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Gotcha. All right. Cool. So that's Carrie. And it's available on Prime. Excellent. My 11th favorite is Pet Cemetery, the original Mary Lambert 1989 film. It's available on Netflix. And it is, you know, Pet Cemetery is one of Stephen King's more literary novels because it's dealing with this theme of the morality behind playing God. What it, what it, how it deals with that theme is it focuses on a family that moved into a small town. And their tragedy strikes the family. And the father is introduced to the temptation of an ancient burial ground that can bring the dead back to life. And it's a, you know, it's a question of what would you do as a father and a husband? How far would you go to keep your family together? Would you, you know, would you or do you have the right to play God? Are things meant to be how they turn out, no matter how tragic they are? And most of this movie, I would say about half to two thirds of this film is a drama. You know, it has a tiny horror element during that period, which has to do with a ghost. But um, it's mostly a drama, and then, like, in the last half or third of the film, it becomes more of a horror film. I've always loved this film. The remake from a couple years ago is bad. It's almost as bad as the sequel to the original Pet Cemetery in the early 90s. I do not recommend those, but I do recommend 1989's Pet Cemetery by Mary Lambert. You can find it on Netflix. My next one is Psycho from 1960. A Phoenix secretary embezzles $40,000 from her employer's client, goes on the run, and checks into a remote motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. Now, a Phoenix secretary, you mean a secretary in the city of Phoenix, Arizona? Yeah, I'm just reading the IMDb descriptions. There you go. So, <laughs> Just for clarity. Anyway, go ahead. 
Anyway, I love this film. This was our first film that we watched. I had wanted to watch it for a very long time, but was waiting for the right moment to do that. And I shared it with you as our first experience of watching a film together. And I love Alfred Hitchcock. I love the lighting, the cinematography, the music, the performances in this film. It, there's not really much else I can say other than I just love it for all of that. My 10th favorite horror novel adaptation is Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956, starring Kevin McCarthy, the great Kevin McCarthy, who I always enjoy seeing on screen. Uh, this is the first adaptation of the, gosh, I can't remember who the author was, but um, adaptation of the novel Body Snatchers. This has been adapted many times since, and this film is just fantastic 50s sci-fi filmmaking it speaks to the the red scare of the time uh with the mccarthyism and so many other things i've i've heard a couple different interpretations of the film but it is fun and it is really good still over 60 years later i highly recommend it invasion of the body snatchers from 1956 I like that one too. My next one is not available to stream. And it's not by Stephen King. It's by... Oh, Peter Benchley. Well, it's directed by Steven Spielberg, so there's still a Steven in there. Uh, but you said it's written by... Peter Benchley. Cool. It's Jaws. When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community, it's up to the local sheriff, marine biologist, and old seafarer to hunt the beast down because it's certainly not going to be the mayor that gets involved. I love this film because, okay, I don't love being afraid of the ocean, but I do love how the mayor is like, no, we need the tourist dollars. We can't shut the town down. I think there's like some sort of, it's one of their big tourist events well, happening yeah, on yeah. the 4th of July. I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's happening over 4th of July. So it's supposed to bring in a lot of money for the community. Yeah. So I get it. You want to bring in a lot of money for the community. But at the same time, he's like not seeing the bigger picture of like, hey, we're going to actually lose people, people are going in to the city, in yeah. this community. And then I'm not going to be mayor anymore. So I love how they're dealing with that concept and spe uh, specifically. And I, I love the element of family because, of course, there's going to be that with Steven Spielberg. Uh, that is Jaws. That would have been my number one <laughs> on this list, except it is my one pick that ex is exempt because it was among my 12 favorite movies of all time. So I'm glad that you got the opportunity to talk about it here my ninth favorite is 2002 i believe 2002's the ring available on netflix a lot of people saw this as a remake of a japanese film a j-horror film and it is but apparently that original j-horror film i can't remember if it was called ju on or what but it is based on a novel itself so, but I love this version by, I believe it was Gory, uh, was it Gory Verbinski who uh, directed it? I'm not sure off the top of my head. Um, but I love this version. I think Naomi Watts is awesome in it. I think it's chilling. It's thrilling. It's the best, one of the best of the PG-13 horror films, which there was 
partially because of this film and the others in 2001. There was a rash of PG-13 horror films that came out in the 2000s, and this is the top shelf of that, along with the others. Um, so I love The Rain from 2002. I, ch- I recommend checking it out on Netflix. That movie made me not sleep for three months. Huh. Yeah. You laugh, but it's not that funny. <laughs> I really could not sleep. My next one is, yay, Stephen King again. He's coming back. <laughs> Misery from 1990. After a famous author is rescued from a car crash by a fan of his novels, he comes to realize that the care he is receiving is only the beginning of a nightmare of captivity and abuse. I love Kathy Bates in this. Uh-huh. I think she's amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, I love seeing the switch get flipped. And I think it's hilarious that it's James Caan that's, you know, the author and is at the mercy of Kathy Bates. Why is that? I just, I like it. Okay. You know, I look at James Caan and I'm like, no one's going to take him down, but here's Kathy Bates taking uh, him down a few notches. Yeah. So I think that that's really amusing. And I like the concept of, you know, your fans aren't necessarily going to be good people. Mm. and won't necessarily have your best intentions and health in mind. Mm -hmm. So that's Misery. My eighth favorite, I didn't even know this was based on a novel originally. It is John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982, which is a often seen as a remake of Howard Hawks' The Thing from Another World, but apparently that was based on a 1938 novel. But I prefer the John Carpenter film because, come on, it's one of the greatest sci-fi films ever made. I was surprised to learn earlier today that it was a box office failure at the time. Boy, so shocking. Thank goodness for the invention of the video market because it has grown in such esteem over the years because of that. Uh, Kurt Russell is one of several members of an Antarctic research facility that comes into contact with an unfriendly alien presence that starts absorbing and taking over the crew one by one. And uh, it's up to manly, burly, post-Disney Kurt Russell to take it down. It's pretty awesome movie. I love it. Uh, the creature effects are uh, astounding, and it all holds up beautifully still today. So that's my eighth favorite, The Thing from 1982. My next one is Annihilation, and this is based on a short story we had talked about. Does it count as a horror? Because it seems to be more sci-fi, but the reason I'm putting it on my list is because of all the body horror that occurs. Yeah, it is a sci-fi horror, a subgenre of sci-fi, and yeah, it has body horror elements, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, what it's about is a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition into a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply. It stars Natalie Portman and Tessa Thompson and ben- uh, and Benedict Wong and Jennifer Lason Lee, uh, Jason Lee. And I really enjoyed watching all these characters. It was a lot of fun. We stick with, I believe, Sonoya Mizuno? Tessa Thompson, Jennifer Lee, and Natalie Portman. Is that the team? Not Jennifer Jason Lee. She's it's back not, at she's the, the... She's the one who organizes the team. So who is the fourth woman? Is that Gina Rodriguez? Yes, it is. Okay. I, I love that we're sticking with them and we're seeing this all-female perspective with no men involved. 
so we're seeing this horror f- this horror occur yeah. mm-hmm. just through the eyes and experiences of women yes and i thought that that was really really unique and special so that's annihilation yes and actually i'm going to correct myself the more i did think about it uh the more i realized i think jennifer jason lee does actually go with them she's one of the last casualties if i remember correctly okay but anyway that's a great pick great film my seventh favorite is also a great film much older though it is from 1931 it is james wales frankenstein one of the universal monster movies uh one of the classic ones i reviewed this on the blog look at the reviews and features section get past the disney articles and you'll find my review of the universal monster movies and um what i thought about this film and why it's made this list is one of my favorites this is a film that is that is rich in theme and texture and you know for a a 90 minute 1931 film it, it is iconic and fantastic so if you haven't ever seen frankenstein you really need to all right shanna we're hitting the halfway mark cool. what is your sixth favorite my next one is the invisible man which from version? 2020 okay i think that that is the most well executed or modernized one well yeah definitely modernized. so bringing it into what are we dealing with now like there's that anchor that i'm talking about if you're going to adapt something and it was anchored in a particular time in the past well you better anchor it either stay true to that or anchor it in something modern new and it stars Elizabeth Moss and Aldous Hodge, two of my favorite parts of this film. When Cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune, she suspects his death was a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she is being hunted by someone nobody can see. It's modernized in bringing attention to domestic abuse and violence and uh some gaslighting as well mm-hmm. i think when we reviewed this film we did a review of gaslight as well yes there yeah. is there is an episode we did a double review of gaslight and the invisible man you can check that out yeah so that is the invisible man loosely based on the hg wells classic novel excellent pick my sixth favorite is one of your favorites. It is 1990s Misery, one of the top shelf Stephen King adaptations. Uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned, it's incredible how much tension is built in a single location. Uh, or, and just in a matter of like, can someone get back to where they're supposed to be by the time another character gets out of their car and opens a door? You know, it is riveting stuff. It's fantastic. Uh, just top shelf. And Rob Reiner, Rob Reiner, man, that director doesn't get enough credit. And he was on a roll at the time uh, before and shortly after this film. So uh, Misery is my sixth favorite horror novel adaptation. Jenna, what's your fifth favorite? My fifth favorite is the original Invasion of the Body Snatches from oh. 1956. You went with that one too. Okay. I, I love it. I I love both. I think that both are pretty good. I thought the the remake was, if you compare and contrast the two, it's a fun experiment because you're looking at black and white cinema versus this. it's 70s, right? Yeah, you are, to clarify, you are talking about the 1978 remake. Yeah. And 
I think that that's such a fun, that's a fun time in cinematography because there were very particular uh, tones of color. And you can tell when something was shot in the 70s and 60s, it's got that particular feel to it. And so I think it could be an interesting experiment. But coming, you know, you've already spoken a lot about this film. I loved it. I thought it hold up, held up pretty well. And I guess that's all I can say about it because you've said a lot about it. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite. Excellent. A double recommendation for 1956's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's fantastic. My fifth favorite is more recent. I think it was 2008. It's a Swedish film. It is Let the Right One In. Love that. By, I believe, Tomas Alfredson. I think I started the book. I have the book. I think I started it, but I never got around to finishing it. I can't. I, I hope to someday be able to do that. This is a great, great film. And it, it, it's the kind of storytelling that kind of proves that, you know, sometimes the Hollywood studio system, the American way of telling stories does not hold up compared to how the rest of the world can tell stories. And this thing became a huge phenomenon. It became a huge uh, phenomenon with the cinephiles. It's about, if you're not familiar, it's about a preteen who's bullied and kind of like lonely. And he has a mom, I believe, who befriends someone in his apartment complex. And that someone has a lot of mystery surrounding them. And meanwhile, there is a serial killing going around in the community as well that is uh, a bit puzzling. So I highly recommend it. This is on Hulu. It's been a while since I've had a Hulu recommendation. You can find Let the Right One In from 2008 on Hulu. I suggest you do so. My next one is Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. Uh, This is a beautiful piece of filmmaking every if you just watch the trailer you can see that every shot was made with such purpose and direction there's so many things i could say about this film and we talked about it in the vampire episode too yeah so this version of dracula is closely based on bram stoker's classic novel the centuries-old vampire count dracula comes to england to seduce his barista jonathan harker's fiance mina murray and inflict havoc in the foreign land This is just a really beautiful piece of work. I don't think there's much else I can say about it other than if you are a fan of cinematography or if you want to understand creative choices, color, uh, color symbolism, Mm -hmm. lighting, shadow work. Mm -hmm. If you want to see beautiful ethereal imagery as well as, you know, gothic Baroque themed imagery then you need to watch this film i i think it's amazing so i will counter that great pick with 1931's dracula oh that's fun (laughs) Uh, the name of the director just escaped my mind he's the director of freaks also which is a great classic horror film you know, this is the one that stars Bella Lugosi. This is the one that's been parodied many a time. More often than not, if a cartoon character or something else is mimicking Dracula, he is, they are using Bella Lugosi's accent and stuff. And I think this is thrilling stuff. I mentioned it before. I've mentioned all the great stuff about it before. Van, the performance by the actor who plays Van Helsing. 
and Renfield as well. Um, it, it's just a fantastic film. It still holds up. It's moody. It's it's got an atmosphere to it, and it's uh, just an incredible film. So that is Dracula from 1931. It's my fourth favorite horror novel adaptation. Shanna, we're in the top three. What is of all time your third favorite horror novel adaptation? My number three, of course, is The Shining from 1980. Whoa, I'm surprised that's not your number one. Well, okay. we'll have to see what that is. Huh? Yeah, I'm shocked. A family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influences the father into violence while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from past and future. So, you know, Dr. Sleep, this is what it's kind of uh, sequeling. And this is where we first meet danny and it stars jack nicholson and shelly duvall is his wife and danny lloyd is the the boy and then of course we've got scatman crothers who is what is what is he is he in charge of the grounds well it's been a long time since i have seen it but i think something like that plus he befriends danny and he yeah. sees the shining in danny and yes. tries to coach him i believe yeah they're they're similar in that way so he's trying to help him out with that uh-huh. and that's that's a pretty cool bond i love this film it's directed by stanley kubrick didn't stephen king say he didn't like what stanley kubrick did yes I loved what Stanley Kubrick did. <laughs> I right. think he I think he amplified Stephen King's work and you know maybe one day I'll actually read The Shining or audiobook mm. The Shining so that I can somewhat try to gain understanding of why Stephen King didn't like it. But mm. good horror for me, I guess any good film, but if I'm going to partake in horror, it better have damn well good cinematography and visual elements to it and this one caters to that for me so that's the shining for sure my third favorite horror novel adaptation is i believe it was 1994's interview with the vampire which uh, i believe it was directed by neil jordan with a huge cast that included tom cruise brad pitt stephen ray antonio banderas kirsten dunst a very young kirsten dunst and more this is a about uh, Louis, who is turned into a vampire, I believe in the 18th century, if I remember correctly, and he's kind of dictating his story to a journalist played by Christian Slater um, and telling of the vampire Lestat, played wonderfully by Tom Cruise. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. Tom Cruise doesn't get to uh, break free from a certain type of character very often. Mm. this film proves that he can and he is fantastic this film is gruesome this film is uh very beautiful much like one of your picks uh it's uh, got an atmosphere to it and a style uh partially because it's set very much in the 17th and 18th centuries um but it's fantastic i love it interview with the vampire from 1994 is my third favorite horror novel adaptation what is your second well, you've mentioned it already, and it's available on Hulu. Oh. It's Let the Right One In from 2008. So you said a lot about this film. When you showed it to me, I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It has a very particular color palette to it. It has a very particular cinematography style to it that somehow I tie it to 
Swedish cinematography. It, it just something about it. I think I studied a lot of photography from Sweden and and it just it it feels Swedish. And so, of course, it's a foreign film. So you have your subtitles and uh, apparently that's a good distraction for me when I'm watching horror is, oh, well, are there subtitles? Okay, great. I'm a little calmer now because I have this extra activity for my brain to do. I just, I, I loved everything about this film and it's best left as a surprise as to why it hits the horror genre. So that's Let the Right One In from 2008, guys, 2008. Very cool. My second favorite horror novel adaptation is one of your picks as well. Bram Stoker's Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola from 1992. It was my favorite vampire movie a couple episodes ago. No surprise that it made this list whatsoever. Uh, you're, I, I love it for all the reasons that you mentioned with the cinematography and, and the use of color, but also the creature effects. The makeup effects is astounding. The cast is fantastic. Gary Oldman is just unbelievable in this film. Anthony Hopkins just chews it up as Van Helsing. There's, the list goes on. Uh, Tom Waits as Renfield is, uh, is just awesome. I love this film so much. Uh, it is. It's. It's mildly surprising. It didn't hit my number one on here. I am a little surprised that it's not number one. Yeah, uh, but I do love it quite a bit. Bram Stoker's Dracula, nineteen ninety two, definitely a horror novel adaptation. You need to check out. What is Shanna your favorite horror novel adaptation of all time? Do you want to try and guess? Well, you already mentioned Psycho. You mentioned all the ones that I would have guessed, actually. Is it Twilight? What? <laughs> that is so wrong. <laughs> no. I have no idea. No clue what it could be. What is it? It's Silence of the Lambs. Oh, Which I guess it makes sense that it's adapted from a book. There's several books. Yes. Uh, Thomas Harris is the author. Thomas Harris, yes. So we've got Hannibal, Red Dragon, Hannibal Rising. All of which were adapted into a film. And I don't know if there's others that are linked to it. It looks like there's a lot of fan books. Mm. I don't know what Black Sunday is, but maybe that's related. So why is The Silence of the Lambs your favorite? Well, let's talk about what it is first, and then I can get into that. A young FBI cadet, played by Jodie Foster, must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer, played by Anthony the Great, Sir Anthony Hopkins, to help catch another serial killer, a madman who skins his victims. And if you've watched this, the series Monk, and then you go back and you watch this, you might be a little disturbed. Uh, he is played by Ted Levine. I love this film because it's dealing with this really intelligent FBI agent that's piecing things together and comes up with this idea of like, okay, well, I'm going to go speak to this serial killer because maybe he knows who this other serial killer is. And I love that idea. You know, she's one of the only women in the field. And she's coming up against all these men and she just has to deal with all their nonsense. And it, it's very interesting how she deals with it. She has to take on this motherly role. So when she's trying to get the office, one scene, she's trying to get the officers to leave. I don't know if it's a crime scene or if it's, it's a room. And she's trying to get them to leave so that she can do her work. Uh -huh. And they're not budging. And she has to say in a very Southern way, go on now, go on. 
huh. and she has to be really gentle with them to get them to get the fuck out of there. And I'm like, oh my god, this woman is a saint because she's not losing her mind like how I would. So I, I love her performance. I love how Jodie Foster's character and Anthony Hopkins interact with each other. Uh-huh. It's it's nice, but it's disturbing and it's weird, but it's kind of cool because. Uh, you see Anthony Hopkins' character basically looking straight through her and wow. able to see everything that makes her as the person she is today. And she keeps her cool, you wow. know, through that all. So I I love that film very, very much. That's The Silence of the Lambs. And it's available on Criterion, which uh, we have. It's very, very pretty. Very cool. My favorite, I'm just going to get right to it. My favorite horror novel adaptation is 1960s Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. That's your number one? Yeah, I That's think awesome. I think so. It barely is outside my 100 favorite movies of all time. It is the granddaddy of the slasher genre. Um, you know, movies like Halloween exist because of Psycho. It's based on the book, I think, by, what's his name, Richard Block or something like that. And I think it was optioned before the book was even published. But it's a, it's a classic. It's fantastic. It's one of those movies that has a real head fake in the, after the first act. Janet Leigh um, plays uh, Marion Crane, who steals from her, uh, her boss's client and, as you said, tries to go off and meet up with her lover, but takes a stop off at a motel, and things go downhill from there. Anyway, great film. You don't need me to tell you. It's one of the greatest films of all time. It's one of Alfred Hitchcock's greatest films of all time. It is Psycho from 1960. It is my favorite horror novel adaptation. Shannon, were there any others that you considered for your list that did not make it? Well, I don't think Stand By Me counts. No. Because it's drama. real life horror. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a drama. It's coming yeah. of age drama. Yeah. Like I said, The Fog. The Mist. I'm sorry. The Is two there different a fog? movies. Yeah, that's a John Carpenter movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's probably it. The only me. ones for me that almost made my list are Silence of the Lambs, when you're number one, mm-hmm. um, and The Dead Zone by Stephen King with Christopher Walken. Uh, that's a really good film. And David Cronenberg's The Fly, the remake of the old Vincent Price movie, and the recent It film. Not part two as much as the first half. Uh, those are all my picks that almost made my list. Uh, I had like 17 that I needed to whittle down to 12, so not mm. too many. But what are your favorite horror novel adaptations? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Calm. That'll about do it for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Shanna, before we talk about the next episode, why don't you share with everyone where they can find you online? You can find me uh, on Instagram at Shanna Paxton Photography. And you can find me on Flickchart at, sh- at Spellbinding A. Where on the many places people can find you. Well, go to thegibsonreview.com. That's the main source for everything. You'll find uh, past episodes of The Movie Lovers on there. You'll also find uh, reviews and feature articles. Check out the recent James Bond articles on there. I do appreciate that. Go also follow on social media, facebook.com slash thegibsonreview or thegibson99 on Instagram. I do bracket polls on there. Uh, we recently discovered your favorite action movie that ended up being Die Hard from 1998 or 1988, Woo-hoo! I should say, 
Probably no surprise there. Just beat Die Hard with a Vengeance. Ended up being your second favorite. But you can go follow on there. Pretty soon, I think we'll be doing favorite 2003 movies. That might be wrapping up by the time you're hearing this episode. Also, we will probably do favorite horror novel adaptations on there as well. Uh, and I'm on Flick Chart the Gibson 99 as well. All right, so the next, what you can expect soon from the movie lovers. First of all, a bonus episode, summer movie preview. It is that time where we look ahead at what's coming out in June, July, and August and let you know what we're looking forward to most. Look for that bonus episode soon. And then the next proper episode of the movie lovers will be our look at the year so far. You can look for that episode on Tuesday, June 7th, I believe. Yes, June 7th. So uh, until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.